I'm back with Troy Fears, Executive Director at Candles Holocaust Museum and Education Center in Terre Haute, Indiana. 20 years ago, this museum was firebombed by a domestic terrorist. Today, it's stronger than ever, hosting thousands of visitors every year, including school groups and educational workshops. Candles educates people on the Holocaust, but more specifically, it educates people about Holocaust survivors. It takes this massive, horrific global story and makes it personal. It puts faces on that suffering, and it offers hope. The Holocaust itself is a horrific story, and the atrocities that happened are incredible. But here at the museum, we try to tell, again, Eva's story, which is one of hope and healing and perseverance to be able to go through everything that they went through at such a young age, but then to come out of that and to be able to live the life that she led. And not just her, but as other survivors as well. It's pretty powerful and empowering story that we want folks to, we want folks to leave the museum with a feeling that they can, their challenges and whatever they're going through, if Eva can do it, they can do it type of thing. What artifacts do you have here that would be from Auschwitz? We, it's interesting in that our museum, we don't have a lot of artifacts from Auschwitz because our museum was firebombed in 2003. And it was at, in that firebombing which is the same location that the museum is at now, but they lost a lot of the artifacts that they had in that firebombing. It was a total loss, and they were able to rebuild a couple of years later in into the current museum where we're at now. But we do have some artifacts now. We have a male prisoner jacket from Auschwitz that is unique, and we also have a couple letters that were handwritten by Dr. Mingala to his wife at the time and they are very interesting as well to read they are not uh, they don't tell anything about any of the experiments it's really just a day-to-day life that he was living there in Auschwitz but he was writing to his wife and telling her about those activities apart from the chart exhibits from the original museum these letters might be the most jarring thing on display And what makes them so terrible is what they don't say. They don't say anything about the actual horror of Joseph Mengele's day job. At the time of their writing, Mengele is one of the most sinister serial murderers in history. One letter reads, My dear, sweet Butze, Once in a while there's a small ray of light in my bleak daily routine in this concentration camp business. This afternoon at 4 p.m. I was ordered to the commanding officer and I was awarded a medal. Even though this is not a rare honor, and even though I already possess more valuable decorations, I was touched by the acknowledgement of my work and my dedication. I have already mentioned my visit to Lambert's to you. He is still the same. He pretends to be audacious, but in reality, he's just shy and inhibited. He still hasn't found a nice girl, even though he has a casual relationship with the waitress. Please keep this to yourself. And never, ever let him know that I told you. I want to introduce him to Schlicks. Maybe Miss Schlick can introduce him to nice girls that she knows, or something like that. How are you, Butzele? And how is the boy? I hope everything is just fine. I'm sending kisses from me to both of you. Yours, Papi. 
and this from the man known in the camps as the Angel of Death at the high point of his killing career. So those are fascinating pieces of history that we have. We're always looking for other artifacts. We do have uh, quite a few Nazi artifacts because, as I tell people, the, the U.S. soldiers would who were over there at the time would come back with Nazi artifacts. That's what they would trade for. And so we have a lot of Nazi flags and pins and belts and those types of artifacts that we don't necessarily promote here at the museum, but we do have them in our archives and we have a few out on display. But we're always looking for other historical artifacts that we could use. When the museum was destroyed, how did Eva react? We have a quote from her here at the museum, it says, I've had worse days, but I've also had better. And she immediately says that they will rebuild. She wasn't going to let the firebombing, the anti-Semitism stop her from, from rebuilding. And so that's what they did. They were able to raise a good sum of money relatively quickly. The community responded. Really, the nation, people from all over the world actually gave money to that. It was an article in People magazine got worldwide coverage. Again, this is back in 2003 when the firebombing occurred and they were able to to rebuild relatively quickly and reopened in 2005. Do you know what type of artifacts were lost? A lot of the Nazi stuff was lost. There were some personal items that Eva had on display that were lost. And there are some artifacts that that we still have from the firebombing here and that are on display but here at the museum currently, but they're charred up and obviously you can tell they've been through a fire. But I don't know exactly what was lost. And no one was ever arrested for that, right? Correct. Yeah, they had a suspect, I was told, and I think, believe that person was questioned, and uh, but they never had enough to, and again, back in 2003, they didn't quite have, they didn't have any video surveillance like we have in the world today, but even here at the museum. And so they did, security was not obviously like it is now. What was it that they painted on the side of the building? Yeah, they painted a couple swastikas on the side of the building, but they also painted the phrase, remember Timmy McVeigh. And for those of you who don't remember or know, but Timothy McVeigh was the Oklahoma City bomber. And he was here in Terre Haute at the federal penitentiary in the early or late 90s, early 2000s, and was actually executed here in Terre Haute in 2001, a couple years prior to the firebombing here at the museum. That's what they wrote, obviously. Remember Timmy McVeigh spray-painted that on the side of the wall and then firebombed, obviously, the museum. So this is in 2003. So it's a couple years after Timmy McVeigh was executed, but Timmy McVeigh was, obviously, could research him and quickly find out he was an anti-Semite skinhead, so to speak, and a white power type philosophy. And so they're assuming, obviously, that whoever firebombed the museum would potentially be the same type of person. The doctor that was responsible for all these tests, he was never found, correct? Correct. Yeah. Dr. Joseph Mengele was, again, escaped Auschwitz and went under a pseudo name, ended up Moving, traveling to Brazil, South America. And that is where, I've been told, a lot of Nazi guards and we ended up, they kind of had a safe haven there. But apparently lived under a pseudo name and died in the late 80s. And they don't 
they being the government of South America, claims that the bones that they found were his, and they say that they did some DNA testing, but they never released that DNA testing. And Eva, quite honestly, never believed that was Dr. Mingala's bones that they found in South America. But yeah, long story short, he was a very charismatic gentleman, good-looking guy, and but he did some nasty things there at Auschwitz, experimenting on twins. That was his forte, so to speak, is experimenting on twins. They think 3,000 twins went through Auschwitz, but only about 300 were able to survive. And again, they don't know what experiments. They were never found any documentation from Dr. Mingler or Auschwitz in general to know what experiments were done on those twins. You're listening to Hometown History from Black Label Podcasting. Let's take a quick break to talk about this episode's sponsor, Stamps.com. I recently upgraded to a smart thermostat. Do you realize how much easier my life is now that it automatically detects when I'm home or not? The world has become digitized and automated, and I'm loving it. So I have to ask, why stick to the old way of mailing and shipping things? Like my thermostat, I upgraded my own way of mailing things and started using Stamps.com. If you join our Patreon or buy merchandise, I'm using Stamps.com to mail you postcards and ship you cups. I simply print my postage and labels right here at my podcast studio, and I schedule a pickup with the post office. I never have to go into the post office anymore, and I love it. It's a post office in your office. Avoid the hassle and get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code HOMETOWN for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code HOMETOWN. Hometown History is also brought to you by HelloFresh. It's the sentence I fear the most coming from my wife. What should we plan for meals this week? For some reason, every recipe I've ever tried always seems to disappear from my recent memory. And for the next hour or more, we have to plan out meals and ingredients for weekly dinners. And then one of us has to go shopping for all the ingredients at a physical grocery store. Do you realize how many times I've gotten the wrong kind of onion? My wife does. This summer, HelloFresh is here to take the work out of eating well. I've been using it to pre-plan my calorie intake for my weekly dinner planning. And there is always something new to try with 40 recipes to choose from each week. If you have a picky eater in the family, trust me, they will be taken care of too. A few times each week, we also plan bike rides. Those days, we don't have a long time to cook, so I pick the quick and easy recipe options, meaning it will be ready in 15 minutes or less. Total game changer. This week, I'm having black bean and pepper quesadillas. It'll have a lemon cream sauce on top. I can't wait. And the best part is, I know they'll always send the right kind of onion. Go to hellofresh.com hometown16 and use code HOMETOWN16 
for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Hometown16 and use code Hometown16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Mangala also worked the gas chambers. He administered the drug Zyklon B, a cyanide-based poisonous pesticide, through the roof of these chambers, and also hand-selected victims. Most SS doctors struggled with that part of the process. It's one thing to drop a canister of poison through a hole in a roof. It's another to walk up to those people look them in the eyes, and sentence them to death. By all accounts, Mengele enjoyed it. He whistled while he chose who would die and would give candy to the children and doted on them before cutting off their limbs and their heads. He was a full-on evil psychopath, almost too evil to imagine. One survivor remembers him personally killing seven sets of twins on a single night by injecting chloroform directly into their hearts. Would go on later in life to be very much an activist to try to find Dr. Mingala. And her big goal was to, again, to find the records, to find those experiment records and to find Mingala and Even when South America said these are his bones, she wanted to have them tested independently. She wanted to get blood from Dr. Mengele's son, who was still alive and and was working in Germany and living in Germany at the time. And she would protest. She actually went to Germany and protested outside of the son's work to try to get him to give, donate blood so they could test his DNA with the bones DNA. And that never happened. But uh, Eva was a, a big proponent of trying to find Dr. Mingle and his record. I could see how that would be important. Even today, we want to know our own medical records and even for our kids' sake. So if you have testing done, that would that could change maybe even the diseases that may, might run in your family. Yeah, exactly. It's important, especially when you're 10 years old and you don't know what was done on you <laughs> and what was into your body. At any age, you want to know that. But especially as you have health issues going on later in life, you would like to know. And so that was the kind of the cruel part of the whole story is that they've never been able to know what what was done on them. The final section to my questions would be on forgiveness. I'm sure you get asked this a lot, being that Eva was such a big person here, but Eva forgave the Nazis. She did. She forgave Dr. Mengele. She forgave Hitler and the Nazis. And it was... Yeah, very compelling. And how it started is she was asked in 1993 to give a presentation in Boston College. A medical ethics professor was asked her to come and speak at a conference. And he half-jokingly apparently asked her at the end of the conversation that they were having was, hey, if you can come, if you can find a Nazi doctor to come with you, that would be great. We'd love to have that. And jokingly, Eva's sense of humor, she said, where am I going to find a Nazi doctor? Last time I looked, they were not advertising in the yellow pages. And that was true. 
Obviously, they weren't. And, but she remembered a Nazi doctor that was in a documentary a couple years prior to this. So this was the early 90s. There's a doctor by the name of Hans Munch who was in a documentary that Eva and her sister Miriam were in at the same time. And she remembered him. And she didn't know him, but she was able to reach out to him. And this doctor said, well, I'm not coming to Boston for the conference, but if you want to come to Germany, I'll be more than happy to talk to you. And so Eva does. She goes to Germany. She's very, obviously, scared about that. But she ends up getting along with this doctor very well. He says he knows nothing about Dr. Mingla and what he did, but he was at the gas chambers. He does. He admitted to that, this doctor. And long story short, she says to herself, wow, I can't believe I'm I'm getting along with this Nazi doctor. He treated me very well at his home. How can I thank him? And she thinks for months, how can I thank him? And she ends up saying to herself that I'm going to thank him by forgiving him. I'm going to forgive him for what he did. And I'm not only that, I'm going to forgive, again, Dr. Mengele and Hitler and everybody involved. And it was her way of healing. It was her way of moving forward, moving past all the trauma that she had kept inside in the weight on her shoulders. And that was very controversial at the time because, one, she was a very outspoken person as We've said she was an activist and spoke her mind. And when she went through this forgiveness, she would was telling everyone about it, how she was able to forgive and it helped her, again, move forward and heal from this trauma of Auschwitz. And there's some people that, you know, really thought that was a bad idea, that there was no way that you could forgive. How could you forgive when your family was murdered and Six million Jews were murdered and five million other people were murdered in, in the Holocaust. And there's no way, how can you forgive? And it's not up to you to be able to forgive. And so that's what some people think. And then other people would think you know, that forgiveness is obviously a personal choice. And, uh, and that's what Eva was saying is that she was not forgetting or saying what they did was a good thing because obviously it wasn't. She wasn't condoning that. She was just saying, this is my personal choice, and I'm going to forgive. And by choosing forgiveness, I have the power to to move forward. I'm no longer subject to just the pain and agony of what happened. I I have the power to choose how I'm going to control it. And she did that through forgiveness. And that was a lot of people, again, think that was a great quality that she was able to have. But then on the same side, on the other side, you get... A lot of people that think that there's no way that they could do that. but And I don't know if I could do that either. Personally, if I went through everything that Eva went through, I don't know if I could forgive. But that's, again, it's a personal decision that each person would have to make. And that's what I think regarding Eva and her relations to students and young children is that she would talk about how you can forgive if there's somebody who's a bully at school and maybe you could forgive them and forgiving your worst enemy so you can have, again, the freedom to choose what, how you react to it and not to have that burden on your shoulders, but to be able to, to be happy and healthy and move forward was her way of, again, dealing with any kind of trauma, not just bullies at school, but it could be domestic violence, just any, you name it. She would say that forgiveness would be able to help you move forward. She was never condoning, obviously, what Hitler did or Mengele did or anybody 
associated with the Holocaust, but it was her way of being able to take the power away from them and putting it in the, an individual person. And you have the power to, to choose how you react and how you want to remember that situation. And for her, it was, again, being able to, I have the power to choose forgiveness and I'm going to forgive so I can move on and be happy. And those of you, those people who I've spoken to who knew Eva both before she decided to forgive and after say she was a totally different person after she decided to forgive. And you could, they say you could just see that weight lifted off of her shoulders and she became a happier person and she wasn't, um, didn't have that burden of going through a lot of Holocaust survivors that I'm aware of. And honestly, we're losing Holocaust. We lose one Holocaust survivor every day, according to an article I read, because obviously they're getting older and passing away. But a lot of Holocaust don't want to talk about what they went through during the Holocaust. And uh, But for Eva, it was a way of, again, being able to heal, to talk about it and to talk about the trauma. But also, forgiveness was a big piece of that, her story as well. So let's talk about your museum. You call it the Holocaust Museum and Education Center. We deal a lot with now that COVID is passed. Uh, we do a lot of field trips. We have about 15,000 people that walk through our doors every year. Last year, I should say, because COVID messed up a little bit of that, obviously, for everybody. But so in 2022, we had about 15,000 people come through and about half of those are students. And we have, so we have field trips coming from all over, not just here in the Terre Haute area, but also they come from Indianapolis and even in Illinois. Obviously Terre Haute's on the border of Indiana and Illinois. And so we get quite a few Illinois schools, middle schools and high schools, particularly that come each and every year. And we do a lot of teacher workshops every year. And we have a Holocaust library here at the museum where we have over 1,500 books, all obviously related to the Holocaust that, that are free to check out for people. We have four institutions of higher education here in the area. And so we get a lot of college students who are doing research and whatnot on the Holocaust that'll come and check out books in the library or spend time here at the museum. We give some lectures as well on medical ethics and this Eva story in general. So we, that's our number one goal is obviously to educate folks on not just Eva's story, but the Holocaust. And so it never happens again. So people never forget. And that's our number one goal. When you have middle school students come, how do you go about explaining to them what happened at the Holocaust? Yeah, it's challenging when you have young students in particular, especially elementary students. It's we do not recommend the museum for anybody over or under the age of 12, but we obviously leave it up to the parents or adults to decide if they want to bring their 10-year-old to the museum. We're not going to stop them from that, but we don't recommend it for folks under the age of 12. And so when we get a middle school group here, it does change the story a little bit. If you notice in our museum, we don't have a lot of graphic photos. We don't talk about the mass destruction of the mass murders that took place at the Holocaust visually. We really talk about Eva's story, about the perseverance, being able to go through what Eva and her sister went through and what children went through that were about the same age as middle school students and to be able to survive and 
go on and live their life and have families and those types of things. That's what we focus on. Again, and that's the overall focus of the museum is telling Eva's story, but we want people to leave here not crying over the Holocaust, but obviously leaving with uh, kind of a hope and happiness of being able to survive and live your life after going through such a traumatic period. I asked Troy where to find the Candles Museum, an education center online. Folks can go to our website at candlesholocaustmuseum.org to everything that they need from upcoming events to uh, obviously, and then going to our social media. We have, we do a lot on Facebook and Instagram and that's candlesholocaustmuseum.org is our website and that's where you can find our social media but to find up all the updates we do have a program series where we try to have a speaker every month and it could be a local speaker but it could be an, someone talking about the holocaust it could be someone talking about forgiveness or other atrocities that are other human rights activities genocides that are going on we don't we're not even though we are a holocaust museum we do focus on other genocides and human rights activities that are going on as well in the world. I'd just like to close by giving Eva the last word through the eyewitness software feature at the museum. Eva, why do you share your story? I believe that there are some very important lessons to be learned and particularly for young people, it might give them a minute to think when they want to give up on overcoming a difficulty, or they might be willing to bully a classmate, and bullying and prejudice are very long, so I want them to focus on that. And if they have been emotionally harmed, I don't want them to remain victims. I want them to give them an opportunity to heal themselves through forgiveness. 